We are in week three of Denoise, and it really is all about listening for that one voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, and quieting the other voices, quieting internal voices, quieting external voices, and letting God direct your life. A couple years ago, my husband and I, we were driving our car around, and it kind of smelled, you know, a little bit. And I was thinking maybe, um, maybe my kids had eaten some food and left it in there. Maybe it was like under a seat because we eat in the car a lot. We do a lot of driving. And so I'm like looking under the seats for something that's like moldy and old and yucky, but there is nothing there. And so then I'm like, well, maybe something is like burning up front in the motor area, you know, like something bad's happening up there, but it wasn't that. And then finally, I'm like, I think actually what happened is a mouse died up front and it's just wafting around in the car and smelling terrible. And we were putting up with this for a few weeks. And finally, a friend got in the car and she's like, oh my gosh, your car smells disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've been living this way for a little while. She's like, you should have somebody look at that. And I'm like, yeah, I should have somebody look at that. So we took our car to the shop and the mechanic texted us a picture of a cabin air filter. And it was completely black and completely full of like leaves and debris. And he's like, hey, this thing is what goes between the outside air and the air that you breathe in your car. And so everything was being filtered through this grossness. And that's that smell you were smelling. And in fact, you're supposed to change your cabin air filter once a year. Guys, I've owned cars for a long time. I've never had any cabin air filter changed, not even one time. In fact, that air filter that we got changed like three years ago, now I'm like, oh my gosh, I think we might need to change it again. You might not even know you have an air filter. So here's a nasty, dirty, yucky air filter. And this isn't even that bad. I asked a mechanic friend, from our church if we could use like a really gross one. He's like, well, I just took out the garbage, but you can have this one. I'm like, thank you so much. So this is a yucky air filter. And here's just this nice new, ah, oh, beautiful, clean one. Yeah, so nice. That's our filter. There's another kind of filter. You guys have the Marco Polo app where you can talk to people over video on your phone. One of the features is that you can also do a filter on your voice. My kids love this. There's one that makes you sound like a chipmunk. It's like all high-pitched. And then there's one that's called the macho filter. It's like really low. And they like to make videos of themselves and then watch it back. It's another filter. Today we're talking about filters because we all actually have a filter through which we see the world. And our filter, it comes from experiences, it comes from things that happen to us, and it tries to make meaning of things that are happening externally, but it makes meaning internally. And our internal meaning and filter, it's not always accurate. You know, it's kind of like that Marco Polo thing where a voice comes through and it's saying the same thing but it's distorted. Or it's kind of like our car filter where it's like, it gets dirty over the years. It gets full. It gets weighed down. And the thing is, before we know Jesus, our filter looks like this. It's just jaded by all the things that we've experienced. But when we trust in Jesus, he gives us a brand new filter, a brand new way to see the world. Yes. And this filter, it's based on his truth. 
It's based on the Bible, the word of God. It's based on what he says. It's based on eternity. It's based on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the truth. So when he gives us this new filter, this old one, it doesn't even fit where the new filter is. Like it's a completely different shape and size and it's clean. We want to use our new filter from Jesus and not go back to that old nasty filter that he, his blood cleansed us from. So as you listen to me right now, your filter is telling you what you think about what you're hearing. And maybe you're like, yeah, that's like spot on. I can totally relate to that. Or maybe you're like, I'm not so sure yet. I don't even know if I really have any filters. Your filter is helping you think those things. Filters also fill in the gap when we don't know something. It's kind of like autofill on your phone. You know, you're texting something and it corrects your words because it's trying to anticipate what it thinks you're going to say. That's what our filter does. So yesterday I'm texting my sister about my daughter's birthday party and she's like, what's the theme? And I'm like, it's baby Yoda. But Yoda kept autocorrecting. It's like, baby today, baby oh yeah. I'm like, no, this is, it's baby Yoda. Those things are so annoying, but that's how our filters operate too. They're like trying to finish the sentence and make meaning that's not there. But the good news is that Jesus died to give you a new filter to see the world the way he sees it through his power, through the Holy Spirit. So your filter, maybe you're walking by somebody at work or church or, you know, just at the grocery store and you're like, hey, how are you? And they're just like... And your filter's like, uh-oh, maybe they don't like us. Uh-oh, what did I do to offend them? Uh-oh, and your filter takes something that's a truth, that's a reality, which is they didn't say hi to you, but it does something and it makes a new reality, reality out of it to the point where you're like, oh, they didn't say hi because they're mad or because they don't like me. But then you go talk to them and you find out they're just introverted. They're afraid to say hi or they didn't even see you. But your filter was causing you all this anxiety because it was filling in the gaps of things that weren't true. If you know Jesus, you have three internal voices. The one you want to listen to is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of God within you. So God is three parts. He's God the Father, creator of everything, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the part of God that gets to live in you. And he's always speaking to you. And like Chase said, we want to listen to that voice. But we have other voices too. We have our own voice in there. And that voice has some filters on it from our experiences. And then we have another voice, the voice of the enemy. And what he speaks to us is lies. But the tricky thing with him is that he'll say things in the first person. So you'll think you had a thought, but it was actually a thought from the enemy. You want to capture anything that is not from God. You want to speak to it and you want to get it into alignment with what God says. You want him to replace your old filter that's not serving you with his truth. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I love that. 
So it's talking about strongholds. Strongholds in the Bible are, it's like a fortified tower. It's a place in your mind that you've built up over years with thoughts. So each thought is like a a brick that adds to your stronghold and your tower. And over time, it's this really big thing that's like, that's definitely a truth in my life because you've thought about it so many times. But the thing is, we want to take those thoughts captive and we want to get them in alignment with what God actually says, not what our experience and our filter is telling us. You know, it makes me think of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Have you guys seen some of those movies before? There's this one where he just, you know, is in this intense battle and he ends up on top of a tower all by himself and this moth flies to him and he captures that thing and then he speaks to it, which is kind of weird, but he speaks to it and then he releases it. And the way he just latches on to that moth, that's how I envision we just capture our thoughts and we talk to them and we don't let those things go until they're in alignment with what? God says. We don't want to let those things clog our filters. So instead of assuming the worst about the guy in the hall that we walked by, we want to take that thought captive and we want to make it obedient to 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, love always looks for the best. Always looks for the best. So instead of assuming things like someone doesn't like you, just assume they're introverted. Assume they're deep in thought. Or if they keep ignoring you, go talk to them about it. If the guy really doesn't like you, you'll figure it out and you'll have less anxiety. If someone's giving you a dirty look, you know, maybe they just had something in their eye, you know. (laughs) If someone cuts you off in traffic, they're probably just distracted driving and texting If someone doesn't invite you to their event, maybe they just forgot, like they have a lot going on. Give them some grace and assume the best. And I'm not telling you to ignore the reality that some people don't like you. I'm sorry to have to tell you that, but there are some people in your life, they won't like you no matter what you do. And I was reading a psychological study. You guys are laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) I was reading a study that said the sweet spot is 85%. If you've got healthy boundaries, 85% of people will like you. 15%, they just won't like you. They won't like what you're about. Maybe they just have their own things and reasons. And then, you know, 85% will. If more than that like you, you probably have a problem with people pleasing. If less than 85% of people like you, you might just need to start being nicer to people, okay? Not everyone was happy with Jesus all the time either, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But today we're looking at three filters, three types of strongholds that we've built up in our lives without even realizing it and the freedom that we can have in Jesus. And the three filters, they're same species syndrome, and we're going to go through these really slow later. Same species syndrome, childhood vows, and idols. Our filters often come from true past experiences usually painful ones that we project onto future scenarios. Maybe someone did give you a dirty look because they didn't like you, or maybe they did cut you off in traffic because they were mad at you, or maybe they left you out of their party on purpose. Filters come from singular truths that we make universal. Truth, something that's true in one situation that really happened, but that our brain applies to everything because our brain's always trying to make patterns. So, for example, maybe a church leader in your past, they used their power to cause you pain. And that's a true, singular 
event that happened. But what you do with it then is project it onto all church leaders and feel like, all church leaders can't be trusted. And then what your filter will do, it'll look for reasons why you can't trust me and you don't even know me. But that's what same species syndrome does. It takes one scenario and it projects it onto a whole people group. And you do it to protect yourself, but what happens is rather than protecting yourself from one person, you're allowing them to steal from you. They're stealing your future joy, your peace, and your love. And it's not just people, it's really the enemy of your soul stealing from you, but you don't have to let him. So rather than forgiving people, you might be allowing them to cause you anxiety. Uh, maybe you don't have a problem with pastors at all, but maybe you have a filter that's speaking really loudly right now because of my age. You're like, oh, she's got to be like 25. I can't listen to anything she has to say. I'm like, thank you, thank you. I'm 36. <laughs> or maybe you have a filter that says, mm, she's a woman. And it comes from your grandma's aunt's cousin's brother. And, you know, they're like, yeah, you can't have women in leadership. That's why it's so important to get our truth from the word of God and not from other people. It's the only firm foundation. You know, filters can be positive, too. Maybe I remind you of your mom. Thanks. So you attach some, like, warm, fuzzy feelings but that's not really helpful because I'm not her. And if you're expecting me to be like your mom, then, you know, that's not going to be good. I can't meet those expectations. We're going to look at some more examples of same species syndrome. And these ones are much more serious. But I think God has a word for some people today. So maybe you were abused as a little girl. And that will cause your internal filter to say, all men are unsafe. You know, it's not true. As a child, though, that filter probably helped you protect yourself, but you're not a child anymore. You're safe, and you can live according to your freedom in Jesus. And the truth is God can use healthy men to speak healing into your life, and the enemy wants you to shut out people who can help you. You need to replace that filter. Maybe growing up, someone insulted you because of the color of your skin something that should have never happened, but it caused you to look at others through a filter because you were just a child. How could you process something like that? But as you look at other people, you're now projecting what one person did onto a whole group and you're missing out on relationships that God has for you. I wanna say Jesus has set you free. There are good people out there. Don't judge you know, a whole race, a whole nationality, a whole people group by like one idiot, you know? Most people are good. <laughs> Come on. And people who hurt other people, it's usually just because they're hurting too. Maybe as a boy, you had authority figures let you down and you felt like you couldn't trust them. You can't trust anybody like a coach or a boss or a father figure. You can't let anybody speak accountability into your life and they stress you out. But the thing is, you're missing out. God has mentors and people he wants to speak into your life, people he's placed around you that have things that can help you. You gotta get rid of that filter. It's blocking what God has for you. 
I know our filters, they're comfortable, they're well-worn paths, they're, you know, especially when we're afraid or tired or under pressure, it's like, ah, they're just safe and it's just what we go back to and cling to. But the good news of Jesus, it contradicts the bad news of our internal filters. John 8.32 says, the truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. When we trust God with our filters, he uses those life experiences, those hard, painful things for our good. He uses them to become who he wants us to be. And when we get victory in those areas, he uses them to help other people. Many of our filters, they are forged in childhood. When we're children, creating a defensive wall to shield us from pain, it can be a gift to us. Because there are some things that we can't process emotionally. We wouldn't be able to survive. There are some things we can't face. There are some things that are evil that as kids, God gives us defense mechanisms to get through those things. But then the transition into adulthood, it requires that we mature through those defenses and look at the truth with his help. Childhood coping mechanisms help us survive what we were never meant to experience. God did not have those things for you. He created us in the Garden of Eden to experience goodness. We were created for good. But then when sin entered in and evil entered the world, God had to banish us from the garden so that we didn't eat from the tree of life and live forever in that broken, hurting state. God was always planning on sending Jesus as our solution, Jesus to set us free. But he did not allow those things to happen in your life. Other people made choices that hurt you, and the enemy did things that hurt you, but God did not allow those things. Young children assume that the world revolves around them. If you guys have ever been around toddlers, you know they're like, mine, 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 me, 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 me. But the, the other side of that is that they assume things are their fault when things go wrong. Like if your parents got divorced, or you suffered abuse, or you lost a loved one, you probably blamed yourself Even though it's not rational, you probably blamed yourself unless someone helped you walk through those things. Because our brains, they don't have the capacity to understand that the world doesn't revolve around us until our late teenage years. If those things happen to you, it's not your fault. You might be thinking, yeah, but if I had done this or said that. No, no, no. You were a child. The people who were supposed to protect you, they didn't. Or maybe they couldn't for whatever reason. Maybe they had their own things that they were struggling with. They did the best that they could. But you need to forgive them. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you've been carrying around guilt and shame and blame. That's from the enemy. You need to walk in freedom in Jesus. And if you're someone struggling in that area, I want you to think, what would I say to a child of the age that I was dealing with those things. Like I think of my daughter, Sophie, she's seven. If you're dealing with something when you were seven, you would be so sweet to a seven-year-old. You wouldn't say, it's your fault, honey. No, 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 you would say, it is not your fault. You would give them a hug. You would set them free. Do the same thing for yourself. There's not something wrong with you if you find something that you need to face in adulthood that you couldn't face as a child. In fact, it's actually a good thing. It means you're in a better season right now to face it because you're in a safe place. And you're more equipped to process in a healthy way with Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, it's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood. And that brings us to our second filter, that's childhood vows. And these are promises that we make ourselves as children, either consciously, like I will never do that, I will always do that, or subconsciously, rules that we put on ourselves to help us survive in the world. When we experience pain in our early years, we made vows about how I'm going to be when I grow up, how I'm going to relate to people. But over the years, these became strongholds. The thing is, they're like childhood clothes. Like, as an adult, you don't wear a 4T. That would be so tight and so constricting and so limiting. No, 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 no. You wear adult clothes. Childhood vows are like that. You need to get rid of those vows and you need to put on the truth of God. You need to walk in faith in God. Jesus said, take care in making a vow, Matthew 5, 34. I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I'm sorry, it's true, you can't do it. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's saying don't tie yourself to anything other than Jesus. He's the only one who can set you free. The only one. And as you discover your childhood vows, because none of us had a perfect childhood, as you discover those, remember that you have divine power, power from God through the Holy Spirit who lives in you to demolish strongholds. You can take those thoughts captive and you can make them obedient to Jesus. You can live by his truth, not your filter. A childhood vow that I made was never to show emotions. And I know exactly why it happened. I was about seven or eight, and my grandfather had passed away, and this was the first time I had seen death. And my parents, they were so wrapped up in their own processing. They didn't notice what was going on with me, and that's okay. And at the same time, my sister, she's just overcome by grief and she's like throwing up and dry heaping and just like really devastated and I saw just what was happening there and I saw then how it was more work for my parents you know to clean that up and to console her and in that moment I made a vow and I wasn't conscious of it it was a subconscious thing but I said to myself I will never be that emotional I will never be a burden like that and the truth is she wasn't being a burden. She was expressing her emotions. But as a child, that's how I processed. And so that vow kept me from experiencing fullness of emotions that God created for me until the last couple of years. And once I identified the vow, I could make it obedient to the truth of God's word and live in freedom. You know you've made a vow when you say never or always. Maybe you made a vow that said, I will never be like my mother. I will never be like my father. But the thing is, those promises you made to yourself are limiting your adult self. Because maybe your parents had some good qualities that you're like, nope, can't, can't be like them at all. You're limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself from what God has for you. You said, I will never open my heart to someone and get rejected again. But the truth is you weren't meant to do life alone and you're blocking relationships that God has for you. Everyone's not gonna hurt you just because one person did. 
Maybe you said, I will never be embarrassed again, no matter the cost. That one time in second grade, oh, I can't believe that happened. But the truth is you can operate out of your vow or out of obedience to God. You can't operate out of both. That's why it's so important to get rid of these vows. Maybe you said, I should always do everything perfectly because imperfection, that receives condemnation and judgment. The truth is no one is perfect and your identity does not come from what you do. That vow is holding you back. You know, vows can be genuinely necessary to get us through childhood. Maybe your dad was a violent drunk or your mom was super emotionally abusive and you took on the role of protecting your siblings from your parents. But now as an adult, you feel like you have to protect everyone, no matter the cost, no matter your capacity, no matter if you get burnt out, you don't have to be Jesus. As a child, that got you through that season, but it's not true anymore as an adult. Those people, they're adults, they can take care of themselves too. And Jesus has other people who can help them. You're not responsible to protect the whole world. You need to take off that burden. Vows help us survive childhood, but as adults, they keep us stuck in our past. Philippians 3.13 says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I forget the past to focus on the future that I have with Jesus. You want to make peace with your past and open it up to God's healing. And I know there are some things that you can't forget, but there are some things that you can forgive. There are some things that you can move forward from with healing with Jesus. And maybe there's some things that you didn't get as a child, like protection. Maybe you didn't get unconditional love. Maybe you didn't get warmth. Jesus is freely offering you those things without condition now. You can put down your old filter. Put it down. It's not serving you. And let him replace it. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. This verse is a bit of an urban legend sometimes because we think it's about going without. We're like, I got to abstain from food and Facebook and fun because you got to deny your needs and wants and then you'll be really holy like Jesus. This approach actually produces anxiety and it produces religion because it gets us self-focused. We wonder, have I denied myself enough today? To deny yourself actually means to trust in Jesus instead of yourself. It means live each day out of the relationship that you have with him, out of his finished work at the cross, out of what he's accomplished. It means put his voice over your internal voices. Even though sometimes they're speaking so loudly, it means putting the truth over all those other things. It means letting his blood cleanse you and rewrite your history. Instead of living out of your previous thoughts and patterns, living out of the truth of who he says you are. When we deny our childhood vows, the places where we have to control and protect ourselves, will actually find real life and freedom in Jesus. That's what this verse is saying. It's saying, lose your old life, lose your filters, and find the truth in Jesus. All right, we've talked about same species syndrome, childhood vows. 
Our last filter is idols. And this is anything other than Jesus that you must have in order to be okay. It's something that's more important to your heart than God. It's any good thing that you make an ultimate thing. For example, money. Money's a good thing, but when it's the ultimate thing, it's an idol. Pleasing people, that's a good thing. But when it's the ultimate thing, it's exhausting. Being comfortable, it's a great thing. But when it's the ultimate thing, you'll limit God's plan for your life where he's asking you to step out in faith. Your kids, man, they're such a good thing. They're a gift from the Lord. But if they're your ultimate thing, you're hurting them. Last Sunday, uh, my son Ryder was sick. I got up at 4.30 and I saw that he was sick and you know, my husband decided to stay home with him and we didn't know what was wrong with him at the time. And, you know, and as a mother, it was really difficult for me to leave him. Like normally I'm the one who stays home with him if he's sick and I take care of him. And especially when I don't know what's going on with his health, man, that's a tough thing for me. So I'm driving up here and we have about an hour drive, my daughter and I, and I'm just talking to God like, oh my gosh, I'm getting anxiety about leaving him here. This is an idol, God. I trust you with him. I trust you with his health, God. I'm not going to try to make that thing the most important part of my life. My kids are so important to me, but I should not have anxiety over their health. I can trust God with those things. And so, you know, God and I talked about it and I handed that burden and I handed that idol and I handed that control back over to him. That's what I'm saying. It's so easy for good things in our life to take the place of God. And I knew in that moment, you know, God's the most important thing. No matter what, I'm going to be here preaching. But I had to get my feelings and my thoughts in alignment with that belief. So how do we spot an idol? Colossians says that Jesus holds all things together in our lives. He's first and he's at the center. When he's at the center, everything works. When he's not, it doesn't work so good. What you worship is what you put first. For example, your daily rhythms with Jesus. If, you, if you're making time to spend with him, or maybe you put other things in that spot, you know, maybe you're checking your phone, maybe you're doing your work, maybe you're watching Netflix, According to your time, those things are becoming an idol. Move them out of that spot and put Jesus back first. Your kids, man, their sports events, those are good things. I love that you support them and that you're proud of them. But man, when Sunday morning comes around, are you going to take your kids to church and teach them about Jesus, a relationship that lasts for eternity? Or are you going to make that one sports event? the most important thing. What are you going to teach your kids? I love Pastor Dave so much because he lived this out with his children. They were all stars in a lot of sports and they chose that if there's games on Sundays, we're not going to them. They said, nope, we're not doing that. God is first in our lives and so we have a commitment to him because what happens is this, what we're talking about, this lasts for eternity. When your little kids grow up and they're in their 30s and they're facing things in their life, God's truth will help them to get through those seasons. Their trophies aren't going to do that. Those team experiences, they're not going to do that. It's really only the truth. And this is the only thing that lasts for eternity. 
And it's so easy to do. There's not condemnation if other things have been first in your life. I'm saying, for the sake of our kids, let's put God first. He's the only one who can help them. He's the only one who has purpose for them. He's the only one who holds all things together. Or maybe it's with your job. Maybe you just think about your job constantly. Are you thinking about your job more than God? Do you have anxiety around your job? Do you need your job to be okay for you to be okay? When my husband applied to his current job, they said, all right, you got the job. Uh, it wor- you, you have to work seven days a week, though. And we're like, Sundays won't work for us. And, you know, that's where you make a stand, and God is responsible for the results. It's where you trust him, and he takes care of the rest. It's like with Pastor Dave's kids. They didn't go to sports things, and they were still all-stars on their team. Like, God still, you know, he still elevated them. That's what happens when you put him first. So with this, we said, no, we can't work Sundays. And they're like, okay. So for a while, my husband was the only person at his job who didn't work Sundays. And now he was able to be a part of changing the culture so no one works Sundays. That's what happens when we put him first. When you feel anxious, it might be because you're not getting what you think you need in order to be okay. My son Ryder, he's had a pillow since he was one, and we call it Little Pillow, and he takes it everywhere with him. Maybe your kids have like a stuffy or a wubby or, you know, something that they have to have a comfort thing. And uh, for the longest time, he couldn't sleep without this pillow. And it's one of those things where you're like, oh, no, did we leave it at grandma's house? Well, it's midnight. We got to go get it because we all want to sleep tonight. But the thing is, we grow out of those as we age. Now that he's five, he's like, I love my pillow. That's the current picture of him. He loves his pillow, but he doesn't need it. To sleep. He doesn't need it to be okay. It's the same thing with us. That's what our idols are like. We think we need them to be okay, but we don't. We're just learning to say, oh, I don't need that thing like I need Jesus. Isaiah 44 talks about it. Just talks about he cut down cedars or a cypress or an oak. He let it grow in the forest. He planted a pine. The rain made it grow. It's used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire, bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. No one stops to think. No one has knowledge or understanding to say, that's weird. Half of it I used for fuel. I baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? And Isaiah's kind of poking fun there. He's saying, you cut down a tree and you use it to, you know, make a fire. And at the same time, you worship that? Like, where's the power in that? But it's the same for us today. God gives us gifts for his glory, but we turn them into idols and we forget that he's the source and we choose to get our comfort and our security from the gifts instead of the giver. God wants us to enjoy everything that he's given, but not before him. And obviously we don't actively set out to say we're going to have idols in our lives, but when we're honest before God about those things, he sets us free. Someone said to me the other day, I think my singleness is becoming an idol because I've been making decisions in line with being single. I've been making decisions with that being my identity. And I love that person's vulnerability to say, I see something 
that's actually out of alignment. So I'm going to take that captive and I'm going to get it in alignment with what God says. For someone else, they had a stamp collection and they sold it because they're like, it's an idol to me. It's different for different people. Maybe for you, it's food and you need food in order to feel safe. Or maybe it's relationships. Whatever God speaks to you, we want to look at those things. Proverbs 3, 6 says, listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. You don't have to worry and be like, oh, I don't know if I have idols. He's going to speak to you. He's probably speaking to you about them right now. That thing that popped up in your mind that you're like, that can't be an idol. I think you might want to look at it. Listen and follow his direction. We're going to close today. We're looking at Joshua 7. Uh, God's people have finally entered the promised land after being in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And God helps them defeat the city of Jericho. And it's this big miracle where they walk around the city. They march seven times and they shout and the walls come down. And they're like winning and champions and having the best day ever. But along with that victory, before they went there, God had said, I'm going to give you victory over every city in this promised land. What I'm asking is that the first one, you would trust me with all the plunder. The first one, you would put me first. It's kind of like our tithes, you know. We trust him by returning the first 10% that he gives to us before we pay our bills. And then he blesses the rest. It's the same with this. So he's like, trust me with that first city. And you're going to win everywhere else. And so they go to the next city and they lose And they're like, what? And they find out that one person in their camp of thousands of people kept back something that God said was his. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was under a covenant with God that promised blessings on their obedience, but curses on their disobedience. Because the people had said, God, tell us what to do and we'll follow all of your laws. Like they were super self-reliant and prideful. And they're like, we can do it all. We don't even need you, God. He's like, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give you the law. Let's see what happens. And of course, they fall short over and over and over again. And their blessing is dependent on their obedience. So when one person took the things that God asked to be reserved for him, his power and his presence, it left the people. Because of Jesus, we are not under that kind of agreement. Our right standing with God comes from the work of Jesus. When we trust in him, We're trusting in his work, not our works, not what we do, not trying to be good enough, not trying to earn or deserve anything. He doesn't leave us or forsake us like the Israelites, but the level of our intimacy in our relationship with him, that's what's dependent on us. We can have as much of God as we want. We can have a close relationship, a close friendship, or we can be distant. We can have power if we spend time with him. We get to drink from Jesus, and he says, rivers of living water will flow from our bellies from the Holy Spirit. That's when we spend time with him. And as we spend time with him, we want to please him. We're not trying to be good enough because we're already loved, we're already accepted, we're already forgiven, we're already free. We rest in who he says we are, and we live out of freedom in Jesus. So we go back to the Israelites. One man named Achan, he believed a little lie that he could keep what's God's, and the whole nation lost because of him. The thing is, when we hold on to our vows and our idols and our lies and our filters, when we hold on to these things, 
the people around us suffer too. They don't just impact us. So Joshua assembles the people. He identifies Achan as the thief. And Achan's like, yeah, I stole a coat. It looked real good. And I stole some silver and some gold. And they're hidden in my tent. Those are good things. But they became the ultimate thing. They were more important to Achan than what God said. So they became idols. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what Achan's doing here. He said, I love this stuff more than I care about God. And it says, He pierced himself through with many sorrows. We hurt ourselves when we put other things before God. God's not punishing us, but we're hurting ourselves. You know, I'm sure Achan, he rationalized his sin. He's like, no one will know. No one's going to miss this stuff. I'm going to look good in this coat. God would want me to be happy. I'm not hurting anyone. I deserve this. He'll forgive me. He understands. But he was believing lies. Joshua 7.22. Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent. There it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent. They brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, all of Israel, took Achan, the silver, the robe, the gold, his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him. Seems extreme, right? Dude just stole a coat and some cash. But it was about so much more than that. Joshua had just spent 40 years wandering in the desert with people who were doubting God. And he's determined to crush everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in their camp. What if we were that passionate about looking at our internal filters? Any stronghold that's holding us back, any lie, anything that's greater than God in our lives, we've got to get passionate about getting it out because it's killing us. We think it's not a big deal because it's our stronghold. We've just been living with it. It's like the smell in my car, you know, not a big deal. No, it's a big deal. It's limiting your life, and it's hurting the people around you. When you allow lies to remain in your life, you're enslaved by a principality that is contradicting your destiny. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Because of Jesus, you have authority over every stronghold in your life over every lie from the enemy, over every vow, over every idol. They have no power over you. It's up to you, though, to choose to walk in freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Joshua wasn't willing to let his people be enslaved by anything. They knew what that was like. They had fought for their freedom. Who the sun sets free is free indeed, but you must choose to walk it out. 
Jesus died so you can be free, but you've got to do the work of living in freedom. No one else can do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. But God has given you everything you need for life and godliness because of Jesus. You can do it. Jesus has done the work. He's just asking you to walk in it. He's saying, will you let go of this filter? Will you trust me with it? Because I have better for you. Don't allow stuff to gunk up your filter. He gave you a new filter and his blood, it continually cleanses it. This week, I want you to identify the filters that have held you back. Take them captive and make them obedient to the truth of God's word. We don't want to ruminate on those things. You know, we don't want to obsess over those things. We don't want to carry those things around. No, 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 no. Look at it and then meditate on his truth. The truth will set you free.